Well, I want to thank our worship team. They're not only going to do this tonight, they're going to do this again twice on Tuesday night. So they're going to be here a lot over the next few days. So I appreciate their serving. And, uh, and I want to thank you for being here. Because when we scheduled a Christmas Eve service on Sunday night, we kind of thought we might be nuts and we might be the only ones here. But we're glad that you're here because it proves that we're not totally nuts. Maybe partially nuts, but not totally nuts. But thanks for being out tonight and, uh, and for being here. Um, I want to do something really novel tonight. I want to talk about Christmas, right? The Christ event. You know, um, I've, been, I've been a preacher for 35 years, and I have preached literally hundreds of sermons about Christmas. You know, as a pastor, you kind of have this love-hate relationship with Christmas, right? For, I mean, how can you not love Christmas? It's the beginning of the singular event that God brought into the world himself, Jesus Christ, to redeem us for all eternity. I mean, you got to get excited about stuff like that. But you have this hate relationship with it because really the Christmas story is confined to like two, maybe three chapters, depending upon how you want to bookend the Christmas story. Three chapters. You know how many chapters there are in the Bible? 1,189. So five Sundays a year, 52 Sundays, right? Five Sundays a year, supposed to focus on three chapters. And then the rest of the year, you got another 1,100 and something or other to deal with, right? So you have this kind of like, what new can you say, right? Even here at Hope Chapel, I've preached over 75 different Christmas sermons. And so you kind of get to the place where, where Christmas kind of seems old hat, right? In the sense of... of you know, my, there's an old saying that says familiarity breeds contempt, right? When something's around all the time, after a while, you just don't appreciate it the same way. It doesn't have the same impact anymore. It's not as significant to you anymore. And I hope tonight to be able to kind of turn that over just a little bit. So first of all, what I, what I want to do tonight is I want to read to you the entire Christmas story. We're going to bounce back and forth between Matthew and Luke as we go along. And then after I've read the entire Christmas story, I want to point out some, maybe some things that, that aren't so familiar to us from the Christmas events, truths I think that we really need to see. So I'm going to start out with Luke chapter 1, with the 26th verse. And Luke writes to us after doing great research and led by the Holy Spirit, he tells us in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. But she, she was deeply troubled by this statement. She wondered what kind of greeting this could be. So then the angel of the Lord told her, don't, don't be afraid, Mary, for you, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary, Mary asked the angel, well, 
how can this be since I've not had any relations with a man? And the angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her own age. And this is the sixth month for her who was called childless. For nothing, nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, I am the Lord's servant. May it be done to me according to your word. And then the angel left her. Picking up from Matthew's perspective, the birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they had come together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, don't, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord had commanded him. He married her, but he did not have sexual relationships with her until she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. Jumping back over to Luke's gospel and picking up in verse 6, in the same region, Shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then the angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly, suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God of the highest and peace on earth, the people he favors. When the angels had left, them and returned to heaven. The shepherds said to one another, well, let's go straight to Bethlehem. Let's go see what's happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they hurried off, hurried off, and they found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And seeing them, they reported all that they had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed, all at what the shepherds said to them. 
But Mary, Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart, meditating on them. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had seen, which were just as they had been told. Just a few more verses from Matthew chapter 2. And after Jesus was born of Bethlehem, of Judea, in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star at its rising, and we have come to worship him. I pray that we've come tonight as well to worship him. A lot of familiar stuff in this story, right? Stuff we've all heard before. Angels and shepherds, mangers, and, you know, Mary and Joseph and wise men and all the pieces that go with it, right? The, the recounting of prophecy and all these big pieces. And there, there's tremendous life-changing truth in all those things for us. I mean, all, all, you put all those pieces together, and what they really communicate to us is that God can be trusted because God keeps his word. And God had made a promise. promise was that he was going to send a Messiah. And that Messiah came into the world to do one thing, to provide a sacrifice that would be sufficient in the eyes of God that would provide forgiveness for us that would last for all of eternity. And that's what Jesus did. And the fact that he was fully man because he was Mary's son, and he was fully God because he was the child of the Holy Spirit, Jesus was able to be our Savior. And through his one life, one death, one resurrection, he provides all that's needed for all eternity. You know, and, and, and I know that, that many of us were really familiar with this story. But I want to ask you a question tonight, several questions relating to this text. You know, we've been in, in a number of weeks here talking about re-gifting Christmas. And tonight we have the privilege of talking about the gift that was supposed to re-gift. That is the birth of Jesus Christ, the entrance of Christ into our own lives. And tonight there's a couple of things that I, I, I want to ask you. This, do you see what I see in this text? Because I think these things that I see are things that we all need to see if we're really going to experience the gift of Christmas. And here's one of the things I want you to, that I see in this text, and I ask you, do you see it as well? And it's this. We see this in the life of Joseph, is that Christmas confronts us with a conflict that creates a choice. And here's where I see this. If we have a plan for our lives, and God has a plan for our lives, someone's got to change their plans. And that's called a conflict. Let me say that again. If you've got a plan for your life, and God has a plan for your life, then someone's got to change their plans. Joseph, Joseph was a good guy. The scripture tells us he's a righteous man, right? It tells us he's a, he's a righteous man. So all Joseph wants to do is be a good carpenter, be a good husband, be a good father, raise a family, do the things that are expected of him. He just wants to be a good guy. It was never his plan to raise somebody else's child. Never his plan to raise somebody else's child. So here he is legally bound to a woman by the name of Mary. And before they're officially married, she turns up pregnant. 
And Joseph has a plan. He says, you know what? I, Mary still seems like a nice girl, right? She doesn't seem like the type that would get pregnant before she gets married by somebody else who's not her husband, right? She, just, she still seems like a nice girl. In fact, I, I, it seems like something's gone haywire with her, right? Because she's saying that she got pregnant by God. Right? And she's had some kind of a mental breakdown. She's just, I, I, I want to be kind to her. I want to be gracious. So I just want to get rid of her quietly. I don't want to drag her down to the public square, make a spectacle out of it, and give her articles of divorce and send her away so she's disgraced forever. I just want to take her out in our own little courtyard of our house and say, Mary, you can tell people whatever you want, but here are your, here are your articles of divorce. Just go away. Joseph has a plan. It's a reasonable plan. It's kind. It's good in some ways. It's not his responsibility to raise somebody else's child, right? The only problem is that God has a different plan, right? God has a different plan for Joseph than Joseph's plans for himself given the circumstances. God shows up and says, Joseph, here's my plan for you. Mary, Mary, Mary. Be the father to Mary, be the husband to Mary, and the father to Jesus that I want you to be. And when this kid is born, I want you to name him Jesus because he's going to be the savior of the entire world. And in that moment, Joseph has to make a choice. Is it going to be God's way or is it going to be my way? I got to tell you, Christmas confronts every single one of us with the exact same choice. Are we going to do it my way? Are we going to do it our way? Or are we going to do it God's way? And I got to tell you, those two things are not the same. You know, the book of Isaiah tells us in the 55th chapter said that God's thoughts are not our thoughts. And our ways are not God's ways. They're not the same thing. So it's not like we get them together. The only way our ways are God's ways is if we get God's ways first and then we make them our ways as we live, right? And so Christmas confronts us with this choice. We have to resolve this conflict. Is there going to be our way? Or is it going to be God's way? You know, when I do, um, when I do pre-marriage counseling with young couples, one of the things I stress to them over and over again is when it comes to marriage, there is no such thing as a win-lose scenario. There's only win-win and lose-lose. When I'm having an argument with my wife, and now she has laryngitis so I can win those arguments, Right? You witnessed a miracle tonight. A woman with no voice was singing up here, right? And, um, you know, but, but when, I have, when I have a discussion with my wife, if I win that discussion and she loses it, I've actually lost because we're one. When it comes to marriage, there's only win-win and lose-lose. There is no such thing as a win-lose scenario in marriage. It's either something that's good for both of us or it's bad for both of us. But when it comes to our relationship with God, God's going to win no matter what. So the only choice we have is are we going to win with God or are we going to lose fighting God, right? And this conflict that we have of whether or not we're going to do it God's way or do it our way applies to every area of our lives. It applies to the private part of our lives, the internal part of our lives. It applies to the public part of our lives. It applies to the relational parts of our lives. And you just go on and on and on. But here's what I want to make with, I think we need to make the clearest application. This specifically comes down to whether or not we're going to allow God to do salvation his way or do we think we're going to do it our way, right? We, 
The whole reason that Jesus came into the world was to be our redeemer. But there's a lot of us say, I'm going to do redemption my way. I'm, I'm, just, I'm going to keep this chart, and I'm going to have more good than bad in my account. And when the moment comes, they're going to be able to say to God, you should let me in. I earned it. I did it. You know, I'm, I'm not going to do all this other stuff. You know, I, if, if I'm getting it, I'm going, to, I'm going to earn it by how good I am. And a lot of us, we're living our lives that way. But you know what? That's not God's way for salvation. And it's one of these things where we have to make our choice about this conflict. Are we going to do it God's way? Or are we going to do it our way? You know what God said to us? There's no other name given under heaven by which men must be saved. And it's the same name that I told Joseph to give to the son that was going to be born to Mary, Jesus. And that salvation, redemption, doesn't come as a result of our works, but it's a free gift that God gives us as we place our faith in Jesus Christ. See, Christmas, and and what I want you to see that I see is that it reminds us that there is a conflict that we need to make a decision about. Are we going to do life? Are we going to do redemption God's way? Or are we going to do it our way? So one of the questions I want to pose to you tonight is, how are you going to resolve that conflict in your own life? How are you going to resolve that conflict in your own life? Here's the second thing I want to see if you see that I see in the Christmas story. And that's this, is that God has never ever, ever lost his interest in pursuing a relationship with you or with me. You know, we look at the story and we see stars and we see wise men and we see shepherds and etc. But the message that God's trying to send to us through every aspect of the story is, I am coming to you because I want a relationship to you. Now, sometimes, sometimes, that drawing that God has of us, you know, as Jesus said, if I, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men to myself. Sometimes that drawing that God has is something that's a little harder for us to notice, right? A star in the sky. I wonder how many people looked at that star in the sky that the wise men saw and never even noticed it. Just looked right by it. But God was trying to draw them. I wonder if others have looked at it and said, that's interesting. I don't think I've ever seen that star before, but you know what? I got something to do. You know, I I thought about this. Sometimes when I sit in our our hot tub at night and I can see satellites go by, right? You can actually see satellites with the naked eye going by at night as they're lit up by the sun, you know, coming around the edges of, of, of the earth. And I've never once gone inside and tried to research, well, what satellite passed over my house at 915? Because I just wasn't curious. But here are these guys who traveled, they traveled probably as far, from on foot as far as it would be to get from here to Washington, D.C., maybe even to Richmond. It could have been even as far down as to Charlotte. These guys traveled five, six, seven hundred miles because we don't know exactly where they came from. But they traveled a long way because God had drawn them by a star that he had put in the sky. And I think God puts stars in our lives all the time for us to see, to draw to himself. But sometimes... God's a little bit more direct than that. And a lot of us would rather have a shepherd experience than a star experience, right? It's one thing to look up and out of all these stars in the sky, notice the one new one and say, oh, God's speaking to me. It's a little harder to find. But the shepherds didn't have such problems, right? 
Because there's a whole host of people who showed up, filled up the night sky. You couldn't miss them. You couldn't avoid them. It's like God took a two-by-four, whacked them on the side of the head, and said, hey, pay attention. Something just happened in Bethlehem that's important to you. All of this is because God is pursuing a relationship with us. And, you know, and we see this most clearly in the fact that God came in person to redeem us. He didn't send the manual. He didn't send another book. He didn't sound some, you know, give, give us some ninja obstacle course that we had to complete in order to be able to earn it or whatever. He came in person because he wants to have a relationship with us. And, you know, and, and I think the challenge that it presents to us as we think about Christmas, in fact, that God came in the person of Jesus Christ, became one of us, lived among us, was one of us while he's still fully God, is that God is saying, I, I don't want you just to do religious practice. I want you to have a relationship with me. What, what Bridget was saying to you as she stood in this, behind this table and shared her story with you is that it was one thing just to go to church. That was a religious practice. You could do that by a manual. What she had to learn was how to have a relationship with God. And Christmas calls us to a relationship with God. So one of the questions that I have for us tonight is not only how are we going to resolve that conflict between God's ways and our ways, but how are we going to choose to relate to God? Is it going to be something we just do or are we going to invite him into, his, into our lives as the person that he really is? I got one last thing I want you to see tonight. Do you see that Christmas really is a gift for everyone? Do you really see that Christmas is a gift for everyone? You know, um, when we look at this text tonight, one of the things I don't think we appreciate is just how, how on the fringes of society shepherds were. Have any, any of you ever met a shepherd? I, I've met one shepherd in my lifetime, and he was a weird dude. I, I, was, I was in Wyoming for a week teaching a bunch of people how to teach adults the Bible. So I was there for a week, and I got to see a lot. Of, and one of the guys was in my, my, one of my classes, at, and I said, well, you know, what do you do for a living? He says, I'm a, I'm a shepherd. I said, well, what does that look like? And I, I kid you not, this is a guy who lived in a covered wagon, just like the John Wayne movies, right? He lived in a covered wagon. Instead of riding a horse, he had a four-wheeler. And he had two dogs. And he was so far back out in the middle of these massive fields that once a week he would drive out in this four-wheeler to the fence, leave a list of all the groceries that he needed, and then he'd go back to be with the sheep and he'd come back the next day and pick up all of his groceries, which would be just inside the fence and take them back out. He was a weird dude. And he smelled funny. You know, <laughs> shepherds in the days of Jesus... You know, sometimes, you know, we see them in the story and they're, because, do you know that shepherds were considered to be the number one class of thieves in the first century? They actually had laws on the books to say you could not have a shepherd testify in a court of law because they were just unreliable. And who did God choose to tell about the birth of Jesus? Shepherds. 
Gee, I wonder if there's a message in there for that. Is there something we're supposed to see? And I think what he's trying to communicate is that nobody is outside the reaches of the gift of Christmas, the gift of having a relationship with God as we resolve this conflict between ourselves, our ways, and God's ways. And, you know, when you look at the New Testament, it's amazing what we see happen. We see, we see a thief who's hanging on a cross, dying, because he deserves to die, and he experiences forgiveness. We see a man who denied Christ three times at the most pivotal moment in the life of Christ, and he's granted forgiveness. We see a guy who, who was a persecutor of the church, somebody who had actually taken part in the execution of believers, and he gets to meet the risen Christ on the road to Damascus. Because there's nobody outside of the reach of the gift of Christmas. And guess what? You know, I, there are a lot of people in this room tonight who go to church a lot. And there's a lot of you who only got dragged here tonight because it's Christmas Eve. And believe it or not, Christmas even reaches out to you, right? It's not beyond. God is calling us into a relationship with himself. Don't let the familiar stories, you know, if, if you're one of those people who shows up at Christmas and Easter, you think that the only thing the church ever talks about is the birth of Jesus and his death and resurrection, right? So, you know, the church has been talking about the same thing for 2,000 years. Well, in some ways we really have, but that means it doesn't have, doesn't, it does, that does not mean it doesn't matter. What it means is that God is still calling us into a relationship with himself, so I ask you tonight, do you see what I see? Do you hear what I hear that God is saying to us through Christmas? He said, I've come for you so that you can become my child. Do salvation my way. Receive it as a free gift by placing your life by faith into the one who was born in a manger and changed human history, not just for this life, but for eternity. You know, if, if, if that's something you have questions about and that kind of thing, we, we, have, we have some bags out in our, our, our lobby. We call them next step bags. And, and it's just, there's a Bible in there and a few other resources. Particularly what I like about the Bible, it's got some cheat sheet studies in the front. So it'll actually just guide you through the Bible, answering questions like, who is God? And who is Jesus? And what is salvation? What's heaven like? What is hell like? How, how do I have faith? And all these basic questions that we have. There's some things in there. And if, you, you would, if you're ready to take a next step with God, we'd love for you to grab one of those Bibles and take it with you. It's no charge, just for you, just take it. And we have lots more if the table gets empty and that kind of thing. But here, see what God is saying to us in Christmas. Then I've come for you. Come home. Come home. Let's pray together. God, thank you for the message of Christmas. God, help us tonight to resolve the conflict between our ways and your ways. To resolve it by faith and by following after you. God, we're grateful for the many who've gone before us, who've pointed to a pointed to the manger who have pointed to the cross and said this is God coming for you
God, draw us into a relationship with you, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen.